Please turn with me in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tonight. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at the first 11 verses. If you're new to Wednesday night, we're going through the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And it's one of my favorite uh, services that we have here at, at RMC. I'm going to read through these 11 verses and then we'll pray together. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, or Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some part remain, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, whom I'm not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preached to you, and so you believed. Let's pray together. Father, as we talk about the gospel, we pray just for a fresh reminder of your goodness, the power of the gospel. We don't want the gospel just to be something that is hindsight in our lives, but present tense that we would connect with the gospel, your death for us and your resurrection. Holy Spirit, we invite you here to teach us, to lead us and guide us into truth. We pray our hearts would have that fertile soil. Just set me aside, give me grace and strength in teaching your word and clarity, and we love you in Jesus' name, amen. A lot of times, I think we don't realize our need for the gospel. We hear the words that God loves us and he sent his son to die for us, but yet it's an empty phrase. It kind of loses its impact. We say it so much, we hear it so much, but we forget how much we need the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If I were to say to my wife, I love you. I love you and I'm gonna commit suicide. What gift would that be to her? Some of you are looking at me like, you're crazy, you know? Well, life insurance and all things factored in, it could be a gift. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> is that the normal way that you communicate love to somebody? Is to die for them? To say, say I'm gonna die to communicate my love. But yet God communicates his love by sending his son to die. So when does dying communicate love? When do you think it communicates love? Possibly if someone's in grave danger. If a child was at risk of being kidnapped and, and you put your life on the line for them and you died to save them from being kidnapped, would that show love? Absolutely. If a loved one, a close friend, needed a kidney transplant and you had the right blood type, went through all the tests and you chose to give them your kidney, then to die in surgery... I'm just full of good news tonight. <laughs> Would that be love? Absolutely. So we need to go to this place to understand the gospel in our lives, present tense, 
is to realize that we were in grave danger. Think about in a village in Eastern Africa, maybe a village that Kent and Rebecca will minister to. In these villages, sometimes there's extreme poverty. I've been there, I've seen kids that are malnourished, young children that are two years old, three years old, that will die because they don't have food. So it's in one of those particular villages, and there is a drought that's taken place, so it's worse than normal. And the chief, in those villages, they do have chiefs, they'll have an elder. He says, look, we've had a problem in the village. You guys are starting to steal from one another because of this famine and, and this drought and this, this lack of food. So the next person that I catch stealing is going to be taken to the center of the village, tied to this pole, and they're going to be whipped. I've, I've got to stop this. This can't go on. It's the next day, and there's a young gal who's brought to his hut. She's been caught stealing. She's a young mom, maybe 18, 19 years old, and she was stealing to try to feed her, her young child. Looks into the eyes of this 18, 19-year-old girl, and it's his daughter. She's the one who has been caught stealing. And now he's in a rock and a hard place. There's love and there's justice. He's got so much love for his daughter. Why didn't she just come to him and say, I'm in this place, place of need? But yet he's also the leader of this village that's in such a difficult place. He says, all right, it's time for you to take your punishment. She goes to be whipped in the center of the village and at the last minute, you know it, what does he do? He steps in and he says, I'm gonna take this punishment for you. I'm gonna be whipped on your behalf. And love and justice, grace and justice are met in that place. And tonight we're gonna talk about the gospel and the power of the gospel in our lives. And a lot of times I think we are in this place of, well, if I've walked with the Lord for a while, uh, that's old hat. I know that Jesus died on the cross according to the scriptures. He rose again according to the scriptures, but we think of it more of a, like a one-stop shop. I, I just, I went there once, I, I got saved, and now I've got to move forward and I move past these things. I've got to move to the, the deeper things of God. And what I want you to see tonight is the gospel is always present tense in our lives. The gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection should constantly be our point of contact with God that's gonna cause us to stand. It's gonna cause us to be in that place. So this is gonna be our theme tonight, the strength and goodness. Ultimate strength and ultimate goodness is found in the gospel. A lot of times those two words don't go together. Ultimate strength and ultimate goodness. But yet, in Jesus Christ, in the gospel, we find this incredible power in order to forgive us of our sins and abolish death, but also the greatest degree of goodness that God is expressing his love and giving his son to die for us. But as we go through this text tonight, please remember your need, your grave need. Otherwise, the death of Jesus Christ has no impact. So there'll be three points tonight, the power of the gospel, the proof of the gospel, and the product or the result of the gospel. Join me in verse one. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand. You may be asking the question, why does Paul go back to the gospel when he's writing a corrective letter? What's the issue that Paul is addressing here? Remember from chapter 14, things were being done 
in an inorderly way. There was no decency and no order when it came to the gifts of the Spirit, so Paul addressed that. So we need to bring this in into order. So what's the problem surrounding the resurrection that would cause Paul to write in a corrective manner? If you'll go on and read further in chapter 15, there was some in the church of Corinth that was saying there's no resurrection of the dead. So Paul then says, well, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ hasn't risen. If Christ hasn't risen, then our faith is futile. It's empty. There's no, there's no point to it. So he has to take them back to this place of the gospel because some in their midst have started to abandon it. And he says, I declare the gospel which I preached to you and you received in which you stand. Point number one, the power of the gospel. The gospel is what we stand in, present tense, amen? You think about standing as a place of strength, a place of stability. It's not being knocked down on your face. It's, it's not a position of defeat, but it's a place of victory. I, I stand. And the gospel causes us to stand. The gospel has defeated every storm that we go through in life. This is very applicable, gang, for us tonight because we live in very uncertain times. In the news, it hit of a group that's on the train from Amsterdam to Paris. Here comes a man onto the train with an AK-47 with a hand pistol, a variety of weapons. Three men stand up and say, not today, right? Not on this train. And they attack the attacker, and by God's grace, hundreds of lives were saved, potentially. That kind of stuff can mess with your head, right? If you're not careful, you're going through the grocery store and you start doing, you know? You start having to think of life a, a little bit differently. And you open up the news today, and in Virginia, there's a, another, there's a shooting that takes place. It's a journalist, and it seems very race-driven. And he, after the shootings that took place in Charleston, he started planning this attack and killed some of his coworkers. It's craziness, right? There's no economic stability. You look at the stock market, and it's doing this bungee jumping. Like, wow, that's pretty sweet. Just going up and down, and China's dropping their currency, and there's all of this instability that goes, goes through the world. There's nothing to stand there. All of those things that take place cannot touch your position in the gospel. Let's think through that for just a moment. Economic instability, does that change the gospel and your position in the gospel? If the stock market goes up, you're the same in Christ. If the stock market goes down, you're the same in Christ, plus your retirement plan in heaven just went up. Your 401k in heaven ju just went up. We put a lot of stability in our jobs. We kind of feel like I'm secure and, I, and I'm standing in my job. What happens if you lose your job? What if someone else gets the promotion? What if you get a pay cut? What if you're unemployed for, for two years? Does that affect your position in the gospel? And we need to think about what am I really putting my confidence in? Am I putting my confidence in the economic system? That's not going to be a lot to stand in. Am I putting my whole stock on, on my job? Well, that's not a whole lot to, to be able to stand in. Holy cow, if you're standing in the governmental system, you're going to be the most depressed person here tonight, right? Get involved in the process. Vote by, by all means. But man, if that's where your hope is, is in our 
government and the whole process that, that takes place is starting to look more like a reality TV show than government, right? Just trying to get people to watch a, a TV station and create all this kind of, kind of drama. Does whatever happens in our country with the government affect your position in the gospel? We don't stand in the United States of America. We're thankful for it. We pray for it. We want to see revival in our country, but we stand in the gospel. But we've got to make a choice. This is where my confidence lies. This is where my stability lies. It's really easy for us to put our confidence in relationships. We're relational. God has created us as relational beings. If you're questioning whether or not we're relational beings, just watch everybody on their devices desperately trying to make human contact. Send, right? No matter how many friends you've got on Facebook or followers you've got on Twitter or how many people like your Instagram or your Pinterest, there's this deep longing for more, isn't there? And if you're constantly looking to human relationships, you too will be let down. The gospel of Jesus Christ, your position in the gospel endures every relationship. Amen? It's Jesus is the only permanent relationship. Even husbands and wives, as we enjoy a wonderful marriage together, your spouse could go home to be with the Lord, and you still have your position in the gospel, your dependency in the gospel. You stand in the gospel. But I get refreshed about this and the power of the gospel and standing in the gospel is the gospel is a free gift. The gospel is God giving his son. The gospel is who God is and what God has done for me, not what I bring to the equation. It's not that we're standing on our church attendance or standing on our tithe or standing on our involvement or standing on this or standing on that. We're, we're standing on Christ. It's easy to attempt to stand on our own ability and confidence in ourselves. But where we're to be, Paul reminds us, in which you stand is the gospel. Church, do you see tonight why the gospel is present tense? That you never look at the gospel as just something that was past tense in my life, but it's present. It's what causes me to go through life in a position of standing. One of them that I don't want to forget is the gospel endures the storm of death. It abolishes death. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it abolishes death. That's one of the greatest storms that we can go through in life. I know some of you have been through that. You've buried your spouse. You've buried one of your children. Your heart has been broken, but they were in Christ. And because they're in Christ, death's been abolished. God has turned on the light in that grave, in that tomb, in the emptiness. And there's hope, even though there's tremendous pain as you go, go through that experience. Not enough can be said of the power of the gospel and the way that it causes us to stand as we go through the trials of life. It goes on in verse two, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, in vain, excuse me, by which you are saved. So we stand in the gospel, but we're also saved by the gospel. We need to be reminded of that from time to time. The simplicity of the gospel, but yet how profound it is and how deep it is. God doesn't say you're saved by what you do. God doesn't say you're saved by your transformation. 
God doesn't list any of those things. He says you're saved by your simple and sincere trust in the gospel. The difference between Christianity and other religions is it's done versus do. The message of Christ is it is done, it is finished, it's paid in full. Will you believe it? Will you receive it? But false religions, they say you've got to do. And if it's works-based, how do you know if you've done enough good? How do you know if you've done enough righteousness? Always under that burden if you have to do more. But because of the gospel and trust in the gospel, it's done. And then there's this encouragement with the gospel. You hold fast the word that I preached unless you believed in vain. So though we trusted in Christ as our Savior 10 years ago, five months ago, we also currently tonight hopefully believe that Jesus is God, that he died for our sins and he rose again. We hold fast to that. It's not only essential, but it's our privilege. It's our passion. Inside of marriage, it's essential that you're faithful to one another, but hopefully it's not just essential. Hopefully you delight to do so. Hopefully you delight to honor your vows. You delight to be close to your spouse. And I don't know about for you tonight, but it's not a burden to hold fast to the gospel. It's not essential that I hold fast to the gospel. It's my joy to hold fast to the gospel. Really? God, you gave your son for me. You died and rose again. It's a free gift. I trust in what you've done in order to to receive salvation. I get that it's essential. I get it's the only way that I have eternal life. But by all means, it's my joy. This is incredible that you would would love me this way. The end of verse 2 says, unless you've believed in vain. It seems to be that there's a possibility that there's someone who trusts in the gospel but over time, they no longer hold fast to the gospel and their faith was in vain. That possibly at the moment of conversion, it wasn't a, a genuine trusting in Christ for salvation. Some have called it a, a sham conversion where there was the confession of the mouth but there wasn't the believing of the heart. It's not our job to sort that out. It's not my job to go into people's lives and try to, try to sort that out. That's between them and the Lord. The Lord knows their heart back all of those years. I believe if they trusted in God sincerely way back when, God's going to be faithful to bring them back. He's going to be faithful in his unconditional love for them. But God knows their heart. God knows if they never surrendered to him and he's pursuing them to say, trust me in this area of salvation. There's the exhortation in verse two, you're saved by the gospel, continue believing the gospel, hold fast the gospel. In verse three, for I delivered to you first of all, that which I also received. I like that. I like that. You can't deliver something you haven't received. Not very effectively. You can try. It's almost like recommending a movie that you haven't seen. Have you done that? You kind of play it off like you're the expert on this movie. Your friends go and watch it. and They're like, that was terrible. You're like, oh, I I never saw it. (laughs) Or a restaurant. Oh, man, this restaurant is excellent. So good the best hamburgers in town, send your friends over there. Like the, the buns, you know, they look like pancakes. And the, the meat, it was chewy. It was the mystery meat. Oh, I, I've never been there. Or some power tool that you've never tried out. Oh yeah, you gotta try this out. This is, this is a great, great power. It's so durable. Someone goes out and buys it. Well, I, I heard it was good. I read a review online that it was, they're supposed to be good. Everybody else says, says it's, it's good. It's a lot more effective if you've first received it. If you've tried that restaurant, you know it's good. 
Even better if you know the owners and their family friends and they do things with real, real quality. You've seen the movie maybe two or three times. You understand the, the, the content. Then you can share it with, with someone else. And Paul says, when I delivered the gospel to you, I had received it. Do you remember how Paul had received the gospel? His name was Saul. God pursued him with his grace, called him by name, knocked him off of his high horse, literally. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? I believe that Saul, who became Paul, lived his life with this lens that God is pursuing lost sinners. Because that's what he did experience in his life as well. So he was simply sharing the goodness of God, sharing the grace of God, sharing the, the forgiveness of God. We have that same testimony, don't we? God pursued us. We were sinners. We were lost. We've received the gospel. You don't have to be an expert on the Bible. You don't have to be an expert in apologetics. You can be like the blind man that says, this is what I know, I was blind, but now I see. I know the power of the gospel. I've received it, now I've delivered it, I'm gonna share it with you. Continuing on, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and Paul's now gonna define the gospel. Maybe you've heard this term a lot, the gospel, the gospel, but you're not sure what the gospel means. Paul's gonna tell us exactly, very concise what the gospel is, and he says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And this is point number two. It's the proof of the gospel. How do we know that the gospel is true? Because it's according to the scriptures. This was prophesied, the death of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. I invite you into this study throughout the Old Testament of looking for the blood of Jesus the blood of Jesus doesn't just appear in the Gospels. It was predicted, it was prophesied throughout the Old Testament. Genesis 22, Abraham is going to sacrifice his son Isaac, his only son, the promised son. God tells him to, commands him to, and he's getting ready. Can you imagine? And then God calls out, I will provide for myself a ram. And there's a ram that was caught in the thicket. What do you think that points to? It points to Jesus Christ. It was on the very mountain range where Christ was crucified, Mount Moriah, where the temple would be built. It's the same ridge. It's the same mountain ridge. It points very specifically to the crucifixion of Christ all the way back in Genesis 22, according to the scriptures. Passover in Exodus was a lamb that was slain, and you had to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorpost of your house in order for judgment to pass over. Can you imagine the conversations? I mean, dads, if you do anything to the pets, it's like family news, right? Look out if you give the family dog a little spanking. I mean, word gets out. Dad, take it easy on the dog. Big alligator tears if a family pet dies. Let's be honest, everybody's crying in the family if you're attached to, to that, that family dog. So here's this innocent lamb and you're gonna kill this lamb. Dad, why are you killing the lamb? What'd the lamb ever do to you? Well, God said to kill the lamb. Put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. And then judgment will pass over. The oldest male in the family won't die. If you have faith, you do it. The Egyptians don't. They experience the death of their oldest son. What does that point to? Jesus Christ, John the Baptist sees Jesus. It says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
This was preordained. This was predetermined. This was prescripted all the way from Exodus. Scriptures tell us before the foundations of the world, Christ was crucified. God wasn't looking down, talking with the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Father. They're having a conversation. Ooh, looks like Eve's going for it. She, she's got Adam. Adam's going for it too. What are we going to do? They sinned. I didn't anticipate this. I really expected them to not eat of the, the forbidden fruit. Of course God knew their decision. He's all-knowing. He'd planned it this way for Adam and Eve to have a choice, knowing that they would sin, knowing that it would mean the death of his son. He predetermined his son to die for us, to communicate God's love to us, to bring us into redemption and right relationship with the Lord. Psalms 22 a powerful section of scripture, begins with these words that might sound familiar. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How did the psalmist know to speak those words? You go on in Psalms 22 and it describes the crucifixion and says, not one of my bones will be broken. When Christ was crucified, here come the soldiers to break his legs, but Christ was already dead and not one of Christ's bones were broken. It was predetermined. It was according to the scriptures. Isaiah 53, a powerful description of the suffering upon the cross, tells us that Jesus would go as a lamb to the slaughter and open not his mouth. When he was on trial, he didn't open his mouth. These are just a few quick references, but all of the Old Testament points up to Jesus Christ dying upon the cross. And then most powerful of the proof of the gospel is that Jesus predicted his own death. That's pretty good. Could you predict your own death? Not if you were not going to intervene in, in some way, but Jesus said to his disciples, I'm going to die, and then three days later, rise again. It's all prophesied and predicted according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. This is the gospel. Christ died for our sins. Why did he have to die? For our sins. Remember what we talked about? He had to take the penalty we were in a place of grave destruction. So he gave his life to pay the price for our sins and he was buried. He's being buried for our sins. This is a part of the gospel that we leave out a lot of times. We don't think about what happened in these 72 hours from the crucifixion of Christ when he dismissed his spirit to when he rose again on that Sunday morning three days later. I think that this is a very important part of the gospel, and let me tell you why. There's a few reasons. And the first is this, is that we never have to face a grave in Christ without hope. We never have to face a grave in Christ without hope. If we know that someone was in Christ, they trusted Christ, they believe Christ, and they're buried, we think of Christ's dead body, crucified body, whipped body, beard ripped out, being taken off of the cross, put into this tomb. If you've had to bury a loved one, it is extremely comforting to know that Christ faced the tomb so that we would have hope in that absolute despair. There's a moment that I hate, and we don't have it very often anymore. I think our culture doesn't know what to do with it, is we don't do gravesides all that often anymore. But there are still some. I've done a lot of gravesides over the years, and it's the moment that I absolutely dread as a pastor. And this is why. Because you do the service, you do the celebration, 
You have a little bit of a reception. And in the back of the mind, the family's knowing this. We've got to go bury our loved one. We've got to go bury dad. We've got to go bury our child. You go to the graveside. You have the graveside service. You read some verses. Maybe sing, sing a song. It's very quiet. Usually it's pretty quick. And then it gets really, really awkward. Because it's going to be the last moment on this side of eternity that you're going to have with what you remember of that loved one. You know that they're gone, it's just a tent, but there's still, all the memories that you have with that person are with that body. And I'll kind of sit back. It's a moment as a pastor, you just, you just take it in, and you watch, and you pray, and you, you observe. And every time, every time, and I'll wait, is family and friends, they go, they eventually go. And if it's mom and dad bearing a child, they stand there at that graveside and they wait until everybody's gone and they bury their child. And no moment can prepare you for that. The birth of a child, you don't expect that you're going to bury a child. And it's brutal. It rips my heart out. It hurts me every single time. But I know this that we can go through those difficult moments. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt because Christ was buried. We face every burial in Christ with hope. The burial is very, very important. Also, the scripture tells us that the old man, our sinful nature, is buried with Christ. How important is that? It's paramount. Struggling with sin this evening? Absolutely. Romans 6 tells us we identify with Christ He died so that I could be forgiven, but he also died so that I could be set free. We sang it tonight. I am set free. How am I set free? Through the gospel. So my sinful nature is nailed to the cross. My sinful nature, it's buried. Buried with Christ. It's in the tomb of Christ. And I'm risen in newness of life. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. We need to constantly, continually be reminding that stinking flesh that we call our sinful man, our old nature, you're dead. You still got a voice, but you're dead. You've been nailed to the cross. You're buried, and I'm risen in newness of life. That's why I love baptism, because it symbolizes what's already taken place. And we're able to go back to our baptism experience and be reminded, I'm buried with Christ, and I'm risen in newness of life. Also, in Ephesians 4, it tells us that during this time of the burial, Jesus set the captives free and gave gifts to men. This is Ephesians 4, 7 through 11. It says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. He And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. Who are the captives that get set free? The Old Testament saints. Those Old Testament believers that couldn't yet be in God's presence because Jesus hadn't yet died for their sins. He said, come on, guys, it's it's time to go. And then he looked out of all of the church future, you and me sitting here tonight, and he said, I'm going to give gifts to all men. This is going to be part of my grace. I'm going to save them, and I'm going to give them gifts. I'm going to equip them to do great things for my kingdom, the burial, the burial of of Jesus Christ. I think in a very practical way, 
we're living in that Saturday. Jesus Christ was crucified and buried, and then he was in the burial and in the tomb, and he was looking forward to the resurrection. And our experience until we go to heaven is we're looking forward to our personal resurrection. We're looking forward to the fulfillment of all things. He was buried. And he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Aren't you so thankful for the resurrection of Jesus Christ? When the crucifixion of Christ is mentioned, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is mentioned. According to the scriptures. He rose again according to the scriptures. It's the fulfillment of the gospel. And as we'll study more next week, if Christ didn't rise, we would have no hope. The whole Christian faith hinges upon the resurrection. How about this part, according to the scriptures? Was the resurrection of Christ predicted in in the Old Testament? Absolutely. Psalm 16, verse 10, David's writing, it says, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. David couldn't be referring to himself because his physical body did see corruption. The Holy One that he's referring to is Jesus, and Jesus' body didn't experience corruption. He was raised from the dead. Write this down, Matthew chapter 12, the sign of Jonah. Remember Jonah in the Old Testament? He was buried in the belly of the great fish for three days, three nights. Coincidence? No. Jesus said that this was the sign of the resurrection. As Jonah came up out of this great fish, Jesus came up out of that grave. We go on and now we see some more proof of the resurrection. What's the proof of the resurrection? Well, it was according to the scriptures. It's in the Old Testament. Jesus predicted it about himself, but also he revealed himself to many witnesses. And there he was seen by Cephas, then by the 12. Who's Cephas? It's Peter. Mark chapter 16. Mark is Peter's account of the life of Jesus. John Mark records it for him. The angel is announcing to Mary Magdalene that Christ is risen. Angel says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Why Peter? Why the specific notation for Peter? Because Peter just denied the Lord. If Christ isn't risen, Peter is gonna go to his grave in his sins. But if Christ is risen, then Peter's forgiven. Peter needs to know the message of the resurrection. Have you denied the Lord as a believer? Have you turned your back on the Lord? Have you done things tonight that you said you'd never do? Is your heart in a hard place spiritually? Well, thankfully, Christ is risen. And he pursues backslidden Christians. He heals us in our backslidden state. God reveals himself to Peter and then also to the 12. They were witnesses of the resurrection. You study the lives of the apostles and they went on to be martyred except for John the disciple and he was boiled in hot oil then exiled to Patmos. If these guys were just making up the resurrection, don't you think somebody would say, okay, uncle, I'm tired of this lie. He died but he never rose again. They were martyred. Christ revealed himself to the 12. It doesn't stop there. After that, he was seen by our 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep or, or have died. That's a lot of people for Christ to appear to. This is the time between his resurrection and his ascension that we see in the beginning of the book of Acts. And some of them, most of them, the majority of them, are still alive at the time of writing 
1 Corinthians. Isn't that powerful? If you guys are doubting the resurrection, you can go talk to these eyewitnesses. Maybe you're wrestling with the proof of the resurrection. It's a historical fact that Christ died, that he rose again. It was testified by eyewitnesses. 500, two or three witnesses would do good in a court of law. It's hard to find three witnesses that have actually seen a crime, but 500 witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. After that, he was seen by James. This is the half-brother of Jesus. Mary and Joseph did go on to have children. If you believe in the perpetual virginity of Mary, it's not scriptural. After Jesus was born, then Mary and Joseph went on to have normal husband-wife relationships. And thus you have the half-brother, James. The Gospels tell us that his half-brothers were skeptics of Christ. They didn't believe in Christ. And it wasn't until the resurrection that they believed in Christ Jesus. James experienced seeing the resurrected Savior. And he goes on to be a leader in the early church and write the book of James. Then by all of the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, also one born out of due time. God reveals himself to Saul, who becomes Paul. He has a vision of Jesus Christ. The resurrected Savior is continuing to reveal himself. Aren't you thankful for that? That's really what got a hold of my life, was the still small voice of Jesus speaking to me, saying, Eric, while you didn't want anything to do with me, I wanted everything to do with you. You can do really good at tuning out a lot of other voices, but it's the voice of Jesus Christ. It may be a verse that he causes to resound. It may be some circumstances that's working in your life. It's never people that bring someone to Christ. It's not you, it's not me, it's Christ himself. Christ himself is pursuing lost sinners. He uses his body, but he's the one who is doing the work, and he brings Saul to that place of salvation, and then Paul writes, for I'm the least of the apostles. One of the things that's fascinating about Paul's life is the older that he got, the more mature that he got, the closer that he was to the Lord, the more he was aware of his own sinfulness. Does that ever happen to you? Man, I've been walking with the Lord now for a while, and I just feel like I'm a bigger wretch than ever. Well, join the club. Because as we get closer to the Lord, we, we realize, oh man, I thought I used to have my act together, but I realize now I'm a sinner. I'm in grave need of your grace today, currently. Paul wrote this early on in his ministry, I'm least of the apostles. Then in the book of Ephesians, he says, I'm the least of the Christians, of, of the saints. And then at the end of his life, when he writes to Timothy, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. Paul was not going in gross rebellion to the Lord. We don't see Paul's life spinning out of control. He was just seeing more of his own depravity. Whom not worthy to be called apostles because I persecuted the church. This is a great position for us to be in, to be reminded I'm not worthy to be called this. I'm not be worthy to do this. This is God's grace in my life. And maybe you're thinking that your past keeps you from serving the Lord. I don't know if God could use me. I don't know if God could use me to bring someone to Christ, to be used by the Lord in some, some capacity. Well, look at the Apostle Paul. He persecuted the church. He killed Christians. And he carried that guilt with him and that shame with him. He says, I shouldn't be an apostle. I'm only here because of God's grace. 
It's a trophy of God's grace. Don't let your past disqualify you. Walk with the Lord. God can use you just like he used the Apostle Paul. Here's our third point. We've looked at the power of the gospel, the proof of the gospel, but the third is the product of the gospel. By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. Isn't that a great truth? By God's grace, I am what I am. Paul realizes that everything good in his life is a result of grace. If we're thinking it's a result of our hard work, of our morality, of our good decisions, we're still not aware of our own sinfulness before God. God, this is your grace. If I got what I deserved, look out. Also, his identity is a found in grace. I am a hard worker. I am an academic. I am an athlete. I am a marathon runner. I am a husband. I am a wife. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm a mechanic. I'm a goofball. You, you fill it in. Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. The grace have impacted him so greatly that this is where he found his identity. Notice then what God's grace does in him, and this is the product of the gospel. He says, God's grace isn't in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. I'm not afraid to teach God's grace. God's unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor, the gospel, that God would give his son for us because it's the gospel, it's the grace of God that saves us, it's what causes us to stand, and I think it's grace that then melts the heart and motivates us to want to serve the Lord. It's the grace and goodness of God. Because when you really understand grace, it doesn't produce this calloused heart. It doesn't produce a passive heart. It doesn't produce a heart that just says, I'm going to go do do whatever I want to do. But it wins our hearts, amen? God, you love me. You've died for me. You forgive me. I have have eternal life. I stand in the gospel. God, I want to serve you. I want to pour my heart out before you. And then Paul acknowledges that him laboring hard in God's field is also a testimony of God's grace. He doesn't say, well, I understood the gospel so well that then I worked really hard and I get the trophy award. He says, no, the fact that God's given me breath to be able to labor for the Lord, the fact that God's given me these opportunities, it's all the Lord, it's all God's grace, the product of of the gospel. And we end tonight in verse 11 Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. Paul's taking time to remind them of what the gospel is. Jesus died for your sins and rose again according to the scripture. And he's also saying, remember when you believe the gospel? So let's take a moment for allowing the Holy Spirit to do a work in our midst. I know the days are long. Wednesdays are long, aren't they? It's awesome that you're here. I know you've been working hard all day. Probably a lot of crazy things have happened at this point. If I was sitting where you're sitting, I may be sleeping. You're like, amen. Ah, you know. But press in with me for just a moment. If you know Christ is your Savior, you remember when you received the gospel? You remember when the grace light got turned on? God got a hold of your life. You became the son of God. You became the daughter of God. And then also... I want to ask this question, have you ever believed the gospel? Have you ever trusted the gospel? And in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to raise your hand, not to me, to Christ, but to say, 
Jesus, I believe that you're God, that you died for my sin and rose again according to the scripture. I believe in you. I want to receive your forgiveness and be your child. And maybe your whole life or for a big portion of your life, you've heard, well, God loves me and Jesus died for me, but you've never realized your grave need. Sin causes us to be in a place where it's just of God to give us punishment. The wages of sin is death. It's eternal separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God doesn't want to send you to hell. He doesn't want you to be separated from him for all of eternity. So that's why Jesus died. Dying doesn't normally communicate love unless there's grave need. And we're in grave need. You're in grave need. I'm in grave need. And just like God pursued Saul, who became Paul, God changed his name. God's pursuing you. And you're realizing, I don't have a leg to stand on. I've been looking to this. I've been looking to that. I'm empty. There's no certainty in my life. And he's calling you, saying, will you trust me? Will you believe in me? So what am I asking you to do? I'm asking you to respond to Jesus, to lift your hand to Jesus, to cry out from your heart, Jesus, I believe you're God, that you died for me, that you rose again. Save me. Be the Lord of my life, which means for him to take control of your life. It's important to understand when the scripture talks about salvation, to repent and believe. What does repentance mean? To turn from sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ. What does it mean to turn from sin? I'm headed this direction, and now I'm turning to Christ. Not that your life's going to be perfect, but it's definitely a change of direction. If you're a believer, would you pray with me? Let's ask God to do that work of salvation in our hearts tonight. Jesus, as we have taken time to meditate upon the gospel, it's good news. It's what we stand in as believers. It's where our hope lies. It's where our confidence lies. God, you know the hearts of each person that's here. You know those who have never said yes to you, Lord, would you draw them in this moment? Would you show them your goodness, your love, your ultimate goodness, your ultimate strength and power? If that's you and you've never given your heart and life to Christ, you've never put your faith in Jesus, his death and resurrection, the gospel, and you'd like to at this point in your heart believe in Christ, accept that free gift of salvation, would you raise your hand and just hold it up just leave it up and praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise the Lord. God's so good. Anybody else that says, that's me, I need to respond. Praise the Lord. Awesome. For those of you that have your hands raised, just pray this prayer with me. If you're listening on the live stream tonight and you need to receive Christ, just take this moment and pray with me. Jesus, I believe that you're God, that you died for my sins and rose again according to the scriptures. I repent and believe. Be the Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. You can put your hands down. Father, we thank you for those that have responded to you, Jesus, that have put their faith in the gospel. Thank you for your promise that as we believe, we're saved. That's our confidence. Would you protect them and bless them? In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. God is good.